HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Firesider, a health tonic based on the traditional New England cure-all of raw apple cider vinegar and honey. For more information, visit firesider.com. I'm Erica Wides, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Did you know that millennial wine drinkers are drinking 42% of all wine consumed? No? Find out more on this episode of Tech Bites. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners. It is Monday at 1 p.m., and you know what that means? That means it's time for Tech Bites, the weekly radio show where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today we're talking about the intersection of wine and technology, and maybe inspire a little daytime drinking. (laughs) With me in studio today, we have some really interesting ladies to talk to us about millennial wine drinking habits. First up, we have Pam Dillon, who is the CEO of a really nifty wine app called Wine Ring. Hi. Good afternoon. And sitting next to her is Ali Tuthill, who is from Long Island Wine Country. Hi, how you doing? We're doing pretty good. It's sunny. The weather's finally nice. It's exciting. Heritage Radio Network was featured on CBS this morning, which is pretty exciting, talking about the food podcasting explosion in the United States, um, which we are at the zenith of, I think. And I'm getting vigorous nods in agreement from Jack Inslee in the booth, who is TechBytes engineer, along with being... Heritage Radio Network's executive producer and full-time, full-service DJ on Thursday nights. And beyond. What's up, Jen? What a cool segment, huh? Yeah, it was really fun. I I have to confess, I did not wake up early and watch TV. I watched it online. Same. What's TV? I don't even know what that is. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out for replay. No, it was a really great segment. It talked a lot about um, the people's 
the general public's listening habits and how, you know, I think it was something like five or six years ago, only 20% of the population was even aware of podcasting. And now 50% of the population is listening to podcasts. And food podcasts are really kind of capturing the interest of most of them. I call it post-serial world that we live in. (laughs) Yeah. And you mean after, not the General Mills competitor. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Nice. Yeah. But yeah, we looked great. I thought uh, it was such a good segment. It was so good to see uh, the studio and the whole team looking good on morning TV. So for those of you who are curious about what Heritage Radio looks like and what the two shipping container radio booth looks like, I would encourage you to log on to CBS This Morning and check out today's show. I think we're going to have a video and link up to it on the HeritageRadioNetwork.org site later today. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. So we are going to kick off the show like we always do, with like a good meal. We start with an appetizer and we go around the container and everybody talks about apps that they like and love and recent discoveries. The only rule being you can't talk about an app that you built or own. I'm looking at you, Pam. <laughs> Jack, since you're on the mic, what do you got this week? Um, let's see. A few different options, but I will take it in, uh, in a different direction here. I'm going to go with the Reddit app. And I'm going to go with the Reddit app, uh, A, because it's designed very well and makes it easy. But I, I, I've used Reddit recently um, kind of to crowdsource advice on, on some, some big things happening in my life. And it worked really, really well. So two different things. I'm in the process of looking for a new car. And they have a really, really great subreddit that's like ask a dealer or ask a car expert. And, you know, you post a simple question like Corolla or Accord. And they flood the thread with, like, great advice. And then in addition... How do you know it's great advice, Jack? Oh, I don't know that it's great advice. It's great perspective. Um, I, I just I like crowdsourcing decisions generally, and I'm doing that in my real life. But it's just it's nice to open it out to a public forum. Um, but what was what was better than the car question was uh, as as I mentioned, I am going on tour with Odetta, and we're playing a few big festivals. And as of now, I've only really played small stages with her. So I went to some of these nerdy music forums, and I'm like, hey, here's my setup. I've got these mics, this software. I'm going to be playing on a large festival stage. Do you anticipate that I'll run into any problems? Or, And then you got people responding that are like, hey, I did sound at festivals for 15 years, and that setup sounds great. You might want to think about doing this one thing differently. Um, so I've just found it really helpful in the past few weeks. And uh, if you ever need advice, I just, it's like, it can't hurt. Throw it out there. I f- find it really interesting that you crowdsource your decisions. That's a whole other thing that maybe we can talk about on a different show. It's a, <laughs> it's a part of the decision-making process. I like to cast a wide net, you know what I mean? So yeah. why not? I see, like, like I said, it can't hurt to get that additional perspective. I'm not going to just go with what some stranger on the internet says necessarily, but like if all my friends say the same thing and then everybody on the on the internet says the same exact thing, you're like, okay, extra reinforcement. So it's not like the Budweiser Super Bowl campaign commercial where America decides. No, 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 no. No, okay. I, I will decide ultimately. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I do have a I do have a um, nickel of advice to throw into your crowdsourcing pot on the Sure tour stage equipment front Uh 
While I am not a musician, nor have I ever toured, I have traveled abroad extensively, and I will tell you, just be mindful of all the electronic transformer different outlet plug jack situations because that can be a doozy especially since apple had that big recall on their travel adapters which i have like 12 sets of so with electronic equipment you could have like the perfect thing and then get there and not be able to plug it in or plug it in with the wrong adapter and then short out the Mm -hmm. whole thing or blow something up you got it yeah that's my advice thank you you're welcome Allie, do you have an app that you like that you use a lot these days uh, in life? It's, uh, I have three very small children, so I don't get a lot of life these days. Um, but uh, recently, actually, and this is a little tried and true, but I've been playing with the um, home-finding apps like Trulia and Zillow, which I haven't looked for a new home in a really long time, but we're looking at the East End because we, we just love the, the community out there. Um, and it's been a wonderful... Um, it's just makes me realize how wonderful technology can be because it kind of eliminates the need for um, a lot of the pain in looking for homes or areas or whatnot. So I've been really engaged there, which is uh, kind of lame, but that's just my life right now. Well, actually, we've had guests on who like the real estate apps, not even because they're looking to get a new home, but because it's like catalog window shopping it for is. real estate. And it's also, I mean, you get to look, this is creepy, but you go through people's homes, you know, yeah, like, that's sure. really interesting. I'm going to do that to my kitchen now. So, um, yeah, eerily, it's, uh, it's, it's become my, my favorite pastime as of late. All right. That's fun. Yeah. I, and you know, I, one of the great things about being in New York city with all the apartments in the windows is that you get to look into people's homes, homes all the time, <laughs> especially if you walk and you look up at night. Yeah. It's <laughs> a little creepier in the suburbs. So, um, I tried to just do it on that. my phone. <laughs> Pam, do you have an app that you like? I do. I have two apps that I like. Uh, just riffing on the whole communications thing and the nature of how communications have changed over the last five years with applications, in particular technology generally. Uh, I'm loving Slack, and uh, this allows... Uh, our team, but really any group of people to connect with each other uh, as more, as much or as little as they like. Mm-hmm. And so we have general channels, we have random channels. Uh, am I allowed to swear on this program? I don't know. Yes, you can. Oh, okay, we have. I, I checked the. Um I checked the profanity box on iTunes, so okay. you can say whatever the fuck you uh, want. Okay, well, actually, that's where I was going. Uh, we have one channel called Bomb as Fuck, uh, because one of the reviews we got on the work we were doing was it was Bomb as Fuck, so now we set go. up a special channel in Slack. Anytime somebody is digging something, it's Bomb as Fuck. Um, so that's one app, uh, very externally focused uh, around communication. The second one is very internally focused, and I kind of, I was a bit surprised that I was taken to download this, but Headspace. Oh, uh, yes, we've talked about Headspace. I love it. And uh, so I did the 30 days, you know, in a row, you know, some time ago. And uh, this was an app that I thought was really for other people. And it really opened my eyes, not only because I found out that it wasn't for other people, just, uh, but it opened my eyes as to what else I might be interested in. Mm. So it wasn't just the nature of that particular app. So it caused me to become newly curious about the other kinds of applications that were out there, the other kinds of technologies. And so it became both internal and external. So what was it initially that 
made you think you were not one of the Headspace people? And for, for listeners who don't know, Headspace is a meditation app. And it is a beginning meditation app, and it, take, it has a free 10-day cycle that you can go through. And then after you become a member, and you can download different things for specific moments or just continue sort of on a daily practice. And the nice thing about it is it is... Um, non-denominational, it's not religious, it's completely free of any kind of philosophical dogma. It's really just about a breath-connected meditation. Um, And it comes with a lot of very um, charming videos. And the founder, who is also the voice on the guided meditation sessions, has a very like soothing voice with a British accent, which is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. So the whole thing together is like very nice and very charming. And I think, Jack, I think you downloaded it at one point also, didn't you? Absolutely. Did you go through the 10 days? Uh, (laughs) What's what's the theme of Jack? (laughs) Uh, Three days. Yeah. Three day restart. Right around. Yeah, exactly. Four day restart. Like three. Three day restart. Yeah, three. Okay. You know, might be a good time to get into it, especially if you're traveling and you're going to need some quiet time. Truth. While you're in the airport or at the bus station or blowing up your adapter. (laughs) Hopefully not. (laughs) It's funny. I've been struggling with the same thing. I've had it waited to download for a while, and I haven't made that jump for that same reason. So you're going to sell me right now, I have a feeling. (laughs) Yeah. I I always thought it was for other people Mm. because I always thought of meditation or dialogue with oneself as something to be done with oneself. Exactly. And so the idea of going outside of oneself seemed counterintuitive, at least initially. And then I realized it wasn't. And I, like, so love Andy. He is just so fantastic. So what was the thing that got you over the hurdle and made you hit download? If you were convinced that it's supposed to be a solitary endeavor for, you know, oneself and that these are a group of people that are not your people. Uh, It was a uh, one-two punch. So the first one was I heard after you went through the 30 days, they open up to you a whole library of choices, uh, subjects that you're interested in. And I heard that one of the subjects was creativity. And I wanted to know how to visualize creativity. I just thought that was a great idea. I wanted to know what anybody could teach me about that. Um, But that was the first sort of punch, and that was out there for a while. Uh, The second one uh, was uh, just talking truth here. Uh, You know, one more three o'clock in the morning where I was thinking through what we're building, what we're doing, and how can I become more thoughtful uh, about that and to use my energy in a way that was much more productive. And uh, that was the second punch. And finally, I just pressed the download button, and it was at 3.30 in the morning. And uh, I'm really, I don't know, Andy, I'm not paid by them at all, seriously. But uh, for an entrepreneur, for anybody who's in the middle of building or rebuilding something in their lives it's uh it, it was it's a great hack and for somebody who's actually able to be more thoughtful about their lives i just think it could add lots of different ways so this is the rare unicorn of a good 3 30 a.m decision mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, guess, <laughs> I guess it's true you're not going to ask me anymore about my 3 30s are you no no we're not going to ask any more late night decision questions <laughs> headspace that's a good one we like we like headspace we've talked about it before so, on to apps that people in the booth are working on and own and sell. We started off the top of the show with a little piece of information. 
In 2015, the millennials drank 42% of all the wine consumed, which is amazing, and which is actually somewhere around 159.6 million cases. That's million with an M. That's a really lot of wine. That's because they are currently the largest population group, 79 million strong. And if you are not entirely sure what a millennial is, Millennial is a person aged 21 to 38, and they have just overtaken the baby boomers, age 51 to 69, who previously were the largest group at 75 million. So they like wine, they're drinking a lot of wine, they're spending money on wine, and of course, people who sell wine really kind of want to get in on that. And like so many things... Millennials have a a very different lifestyle habit, relationship with technology, relationship with advertising and the media. The way they go through life and process information is very different from the baby boomers. They're very different from Gen X and Gen Y. They're extremely digital, and they're extremely savvy, and they kind of like things in a very specific way because they've grown up in this digital on-demand world. So that has then created a domino effect of wine folks kind of taking new approaches to how they sell wine because if, you know, people are buying 160 million cases and you're a Long Island winemaker, you hope one of those is yours. (laughs) So we have these two women here today to talk to us about how Um, millennial wine drinkers are impacting and affecting the work that they do and the industries that they're in. And we'll start off with Allie, who works with Long Island Wine Country, in Long Island Wine Country. And it's it's old school, Mm -hmm. now moving into new school. Mm -hmm. And one of the interesting things I think about, I've always been fascinated about wine, is that at heart, wine is like farming. It is. Wine is like really agriculture and farming. And it somehow manages to transcend the tractor farm harvest level and go all the way up to, you know, millions of dollars and super fancy places and almost into this, you know, realm of very elitist realm in some instances, so which is antithetical to the whole millennial experience. Mm -hmm. So why don't you tell us where Long Island wine was and where you are now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it's a an interesting region because, um, you know, we've been around a little over 40 years. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it is. It's, it's built and um, it's situated in a truly agricultural community. So if you go out to the east end of Long Island, and if you're familiar um, with that region, it's, um, it, it used to be, um, it has a huge agricultural history. It's big potato farming. And now, I mean, you can't get, I hate to use the word craft because I think it's very overused in some regards, but um, you cannot get a more um, natural, organic, farm-to-table experience. Everything out there is is still grown. It's still practiced. It's fair, People are very passionate about protecting the agricultural community out there. Um, and wine plays a very 
predominant role in that. Um, and so, you know, I started about a year ago, um, and we we really put our heads together and we said, you know, the wine out there um, is really, really coming into its own. It's been, um, you know, a, a huge um, evolution from when we started growing grapes and making wine to now. And, um, you know, the quality of the wines are excellent. Um, we make a really diverse range of wines because of the climate that we're uh, working under. So it's very maritime in nature. So very similar to like a Bordeaux region, if you will. Um, so you get... Um, Bordeaux is actually right on the Atlantic. People might not even realize exactly. it when they think about Bordeaux wines, but yeah. it's right by the beach. Mm-hmm. It's also a similar latitude. Very similar yeah. latitude. And so you do, you get these very moderate um, alcohol, very balanced wines. They're super food, fr- food friendly. Um, and when you think about the millennial generation in wine and you think about what they're looking for, um, you know, it's all about discovery. It's about um, finding wines that suit their lifestyle, um, that suits their interests. But what I love about this generation is that I find that um, you know, they aren't as tied to brands as say maybe you know kind of generations that have um, come before them. Is that because much of sort of the millennial point of view is that they are very aware of advertising and they're very aware of marketing? I think they so, yeah. really don't want to be told what to do or what, what to, to do. buy. And actually, or... this is going to segue right into Pam's app. Mm-hmm. Wine Ring, one of the things in the wine arena mm-hmm. is that millennials really hate the rating systems. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. hate the 100-point scoring. They hate the established, old, stuffy point system. And they're looking for really recommendations from people that they know on Reddit to crowdsource what kind of wine <laughs> they should drink with dinner. So Never. Wine, <laughs> wine Ring is an app that is sort of, I'm going to make a uh, sort of broad example and say it's kind of like Netflix for wine in that it's going to aggregate what you like and then tell you what you would probably like, mm. which it, for the millennials is a much better recommendation than a old guy giving it a 97 point score. Sure, yeah, and I think you know, I, 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 it's a perfect kind of synergy here because what we're trying to do on Long Island is just it's just educate because we do have that kind of storyline to deliver to millennials. It's it's different. It's a little unexpected. Um, you can do a lot of things with our wine. You can pair them with a lot of um, different types of meals um, because of their food friendliness and their balance. Um, they're really well suited for a lot of different occasions, but the quality is excellent. And at the end of the day, millennials too, you know, information and especially within food and wine culture is almost like social currency, right? So if they have that kind of up and coming wine or that new wine or that great undecided discovered wine to them, that's something they can bring to their fam- their friends and whatnot. And so, you know, that's, that's all of our efforts are around that right now. Pam, do you feel like um, in your business as you're setting up sort of the parameters of how Wine Ring works, do you believe that information is social currency within the millennial generation? I do. And uh, to tag on to what Allie was saying, I think the focus on the individual Um, particularly so with respect to that information. So that is one of the major reasons why we approached solving the problem the way that we did with respect to individual preference. So we'll get to crowdsourcing in a second. It's a very different uh, approach, but uh, and it's complementary, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but our technology and the, the four patents that we have work 
uh, and we're awarded because uh, of how the, the technology uh, works. It's off of love, like, so, so, dislike. Mm-hmm. So all you do is taste a wine and love, like, so, so, dislike. It's the one thing around which you have unequivocal expertise is mm-hmm. how do you feel about it. Exactly. And it's the one thing that no matter how much expertise I have in wine or anybody else has in wine, we can't tell you how you feel about it. And so what this technology does is it... Um, maps the patterns of preferences based upon those responses across the entire world of wine. And so in this way, connects people, individuals, with those wineries, um, small wineries, half a world away. Mm -hmm. And so this is how producers, small producers, whether they be from Long Island or anywhere else, get connected Mm -hmm. with people a half a world away. And this is this is one of the greatest things that technology can do. It can not only capture preference, but then it can make those connections. That is one of the best things about technology. And one of the best things about our sponsors. And we're going to take a quick break <laughs> to make a connection with a really good artisan, handcrafted brand that I think a lot of our listeners would really love to try. And this one's called Field Trip World. It's from Rectech. We'll be right back. Today's program was brought to you by Fire Cider. Did your grandmother ever tell you to drink raw apple cider vinegar? good advice and more common than you may think for generations of new englanders a tot of vinegar was a morning ritual taken daily a tablespoon of unfiltered apple cider vinegar can help support immune function and digestive functions to the base of certified organic apple cider vinegar fire cider added whole raw certified organic oranges lemons onions ginger horseradish habanero pepper garlic and turmeric They let this mixture steep for six weeks at room temperature to preserve the living vinegar culture and delicate flavors of the ingredients. Lastly, they blend a generous helping of raw wildflower honey into the mix. The result is potent but balanced, offering layers of sweet, tart, and spice. Fire cider tastes great on its own or as an addition to tea, juice, or salad. Fire cider ships direct from their online store and is available at over 500 locations nationwide. Use their store locator to find one near you and ask for a free sample. For more information, visit firesider.com. If you've just joined us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today we are talking about the intersection of the millennial wine generation and digital media and digital technology. We're in studio with Ali Tuthill from Long Island Wine Country and Pam Dillon, one of the, the founder and the CEO of Wine Ring. Both trying to do the same thing, serve up information about wine to the millennial to the millennial wine drinker to further their appreciation and consumption. One of the interesting things about this generation and about living in the current digital environment is because we have so many things like Wine Ring or Netflix where 
we're used to technology honing its selection for us based on our preference. If you like this, you'll love that. How do we discover things like a sparkling wine from Long Island wine country? Because on the one hand, using data to drive a focal point of selection is amazing, but it also, does it disrupt surprise and delight? Which kind of is one of the best things about wine, I think, is the surprise and delight piece. Agreed. Yeah. It's something that I, I you know, I struggle with because also, you know, um, without, you know, Long Island has great, I would say, brand recognition within the tri-state area, um, but it's certainly something that we're working on. And so um, a lot of people are, are even, you know, wine, wine drinkers and, and avid wine drinkers, you know, sometimes aren't even aware that New York makes wine. And so, um, you know, are they willing to take a gamble on something that they've never heard of versus something that they've, you know, remotely heard of or has higher recommendations or, you know, has a stronger word of mouth presence? Um, it's something that we struggle with all the time. And that's where we're really using our kind of social media handles and, and our marketing strategy is totally geared around people who have voices within the social media space um, and the technology space um, to bring them into um, what we're doing and, and to get them in really advocating about our products so that they can be the one to help kind of shed light and discovery for us. Um, and that's, you know, it's a different kind of way of crowdsourcing in a way or using the power of, of word of mouth. Um, and The power I, of your social network. Exactly. And, and it's for us, it's building that and really relying on those educators within the space um, because without that, you know, we we would really struggle this day and age because it is that, you know, the millennial generation is so sophisticated when it comes to media and marketing. And there's, you know, they 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 aren't looking for those um, traditional sources for education, especially within food and wine. And so it's it's who they are looking up to within the food and wine space, whether it be chefs or psalms or, you know, even, you know, new technology platforms. So it's making sure that we're aligning with those people to, to advocate on our product's behalf and really understand it. So one way they would d- discover it would be through their own social network or just to l- jump onto a platform exactly. like WineRing exactly. and let the technology make the recommendation, but knowing that it's based on their preference. Mm-hmm. Their individual preferences, yeah. Uh, one of the things that WineRing has that uh, no other wine technology has is the ability to have you have an individual channel mm-hmm. for uh, any individual winery. So uh, anyone and all of them uh, mm-hmm. on Long Island could have individual channels with all of the wines that they're serving mm-hmm. in their tasting room at any given time. Uh, this totally changes how things work right now. Uh, you know, the, the little pens or the little uh, uh, pencils mm-hmm. and the pieces of paper, they get lost. And so the people don't know, the tasters don't know what they love. They don't remember what they loved. And then they don't know what to buy again. Uh, and then as it turns out, all along the way, the wineries don't know what the people thought when they came through. So uh, so a solution uh, that we thought would really help and so far really has is each user then went, downloads the app, goes to the channel, and then they love, like, so, so, dislike the wines that are in the tasting room. And then it becomes a dialogue. There's a communication that occurs between the taster and the winemaker. And the winemaker doesn't have to change something. Um, it, it, it's just feedback. It's just, it, and it may be in the end, they don't, they don't want to change a thing. But they may want to change something. They may want to offer a new kind of wine. 
Um, or increase of production or exactly. availability and, and, on something or and, decrease production on something else. And, and you, you know what you bring up is, is actually a mega trend uh, implication to this because instead of supply driving what wines are produced in the world, wouldn't it be interesting uh, and powerful for individual consumers to drive it by their individual preferences? And that really was the vision to be able to do that. Because right now, a lot of wine demand is simply driven by dollars. Mm -hmm. And I think at the higher, more elite, you know, premier, ground, crew, Bordeaux, those wines are driven by what the market will bear, which wine drinking population is driving that market for a long time. It was the British, and then it was the Japanese, and now it's the Chinese, and... Because they can afford it, and they have a lot of money, and they want the best of the best. But on this sort of more mainstream, day-to-day level, is price and, and dollar consumption still a good indicator of what the people want? Yes. So, yes. Uh, yeah. So if we compare, uh, just as you did in the opening part of your program, if we compare the millennials and their buying power and the nature of their purchasing with what we'll call the establishment. You can call them the boomers, you can call them the jet sets, uh, whatever. Um, What's really interesting is that their dollar spend per person is considerably higher. They're, by the way, more men. They millennial or uh, boomers? The the establishment. establishment. They buy uh, higher priced bottles uh, on any given day, any given spend. Um, what's interesting is that there are fewer of them. So if you look at the millennials, there are a lot more of them. Their average spend right now is less, but all you have to do is bring that forward a little bit to see why the wine industry um, not only is interested, but should be interested in that buying power. Has, uh, has anyone looked at what the percentage point is, though, of sort of disposable income? Because the establishment, you know, they're in their 50s and 60s, so presumably, I mean, just to use round numbers, if... They're making $100,000 a year, and the millennial is only making $10,000 a year, but the millennial spending, you know, 5000 is the boomer spending, you know, 50000 Is it commensurate in terms of percentage of income? Because then you can sort of extrapolate forward. Yeah. It, it, it's, um, it, it's not smooth in that way. So uh, going to sort of some of the social implications of millennials, where there's a desire for a fuller life experience, and and you're finding this dynamic to demonstrate itself in a lot of different settings, but just for a moment in wine, uh, and food for that matter, they want a full life experience, and they demand it. Mm -hmm. And so they're willing to spend more of their disposable income percentage-wise. And whether they're millennials or the jet set, you know, the establishment, um, there are people within those groups. You know, we don't want to overgeneralize uh, too much, but there are people within those groups that just find food and wine to have a more important role in their lives, in their lives, and they uh, they spend more. Um, but the wine industry typically looks for uh, a, a gross income of somewhere around. $75,000 is uh, the line of demarcation where somebody really has the ability to have a very different kind of lifestyle um, and approaching that depending upon what percentage of your life, your life spend, uh, you want to go there. And there are just people that want to eat, drink, and travel. And they'll they'll go from gig I'm, to I'm gig to gig. I'm a person who just wants to eat, drink, and travel. As, it's the gig economy. They go from one gig to another mm-hmm. in order to support that lifestyle. In many ways, it's really exciting. It's really interesting. It's a really data-driven world today, isn't it? It is. It is. But I think, I, you know, I also think, though, the millennial generation, um, and especially the younger millennials, um, 
you know, they are a little price point sensitive and, you know, we, we kind of run into this a lot, um, you know, just in getting our wines out there. Um, you know, they've grown up in a culture where I don't want to say they're, you know, it's like a discount world in the U S but, um, there is this threshold that they're looking at, you know, it's that kind of, I think you can say discount world, especially when we're talking about apps and technology and the internet, you know, huge portion of the internet shopping is based on discounting everything from the very specific discount shopping Mm -hmm. experiences like you know a guilt or Mm -hmm. uh you know rue la la from from that whole shopping experience to an amazon you know amazon prime getting it at a discount all those kinds of things i think increasingly why would you pay full price when you wait a little while and you know that there's going to be some sort of discount sale and that's, percentage yeah and friend recommendation money off you know whatever it may be and within food and wine i don't necessarily think they're looking for discounts as much as it's that level of quality you know or that that paying up for experience but doing so within a price point that they're not willing to sacrifice that level of experience or quality, but they want it at a consumable price and they'll do it more often because that's their lifestyle. Um, and that's something that, you know, we really struggle with on Long Island because, um, you know, we're, we're all about delivering that experience because, you know, we're not, you know, our, our wine isn't selling at, you know, nine to 12 bottles, $12 a bottle at a, at retail. Um, but what we can deliver is that really authentic experience. What we can deliver is that, um, connection to the people and the story and the background that a lot of the millennials are also um, really interested in, right? That authentic relationship with your product and with, um, you know, the source of where it's coming from. Um, And we're finding that if we can engage them at that level, um, then the price points or that kind of, um, you know, willingness to pay up is there. Um, But it really comes down to um, providing that experience. But it's also, and and this is another really nice cross-section, is making wine accessible um, in terms of how you deliver that information and that experience. And we've been, you know, seeing a lot of research come through that even in the tasting rooms or how you talk about wine on your websites or through your social handles or whatnot, um, you know, you can't you can't make it too hard to understand. They want to be able to engage with it on their level. And 140 characters or less. And, and yeah, and so, but, but you also want to make sure that it, there is an educational component to wine, and there's a cultural component to wine that I think needs to be maintained. Um, so it's you know, if if it's not the rating system, then what is it that's still providing it's my that rating system? Yeah, exactly. It's, exactly. it's my rating system. And how do you and looking at at social media as a driving point of that, but then also how do you translate that into every single touch point? Because eventually there going to have to get off their phone and actually make that purchase and so so Pam how many touch points are there because in an interesting way the bigger your data pool is the better and recommendations someone can have and the more recommendations they can have I mean it's sort of like if you have an app where you're making recommendations but you only have like 10 things you're just going to like cycle through <laughs> but yeah uh, how, how big is the pool of data <laughs> How many touch points? I so didn't feed you this question. <laughs> well, I'm curious. So, yeah, you know? I, I, I mean, was too when we first got started, and then I found out. So, I mean, it's um, a, I mean how, how many how many wines do you have in Long Island wine country? How many wine producers? Let's just use a broad number. Over sixty. Over sixty. Mm-hmm. How on average? How many wines does each producer make? Oh, it, it ranges, but we we do about 500,000 cases a year on aggregate. So. The different wines uh, produced around the world, if you just want a number, right. it's uh, that are brought to this country mm-hmm. is roughly 100,000. 
per year. So that's per vintage. And at any given time, on average, you know, some are more and some are fewer, uh, you have about 10 vintages. So at any given time, a consumer has to choose between one and another uh, in the context of a million wines. One and million wines. <laughs> those, are the, those are the data. Those It'd are the It'd be really facts. difficult for me to sift through a, a million item wine list and pick out what I like. And, as, and exactly. as it turns out, not even a professional could try as I might. I haven't would tasted take years. all of them. It would take years. <laughs> years and years and years, and years. Yeah. Uh, but that, that's, this is something that technology is so perfectly mm-hmm. suited to because uh, so our masters taste each one. They evaluate each one of the wines separately to go into the database to capture the nature of its character. So when, so, you, say, when you say evaluate, though, mm-hmm. this is not a preferential evaluation of I like this, I don't like this. Correct. This is a sort of baseline characteristic, not even detail, sort of. fundamental. Exactly. That's okay. exactly what it is. This is. An I think that's, academic... a, that's an important distinction it because is. I don't want to swap one master psalm's opinion for, for another. another. Yeah. These are the people who are loading in the taste points or the characteristics or the grapes, the varietals, all that. Type exactly, of... and they're professionals. This is what they do for a living. And what's interesting is that we do incorporate data that is really spectacularly explanative of preference and makes a really big difference. So here's an example. Uh, On a bottle of wine, you'll see alcohol by volume, ABV. And um, most people don't know that that uh, could be very wrong. Uh, First of all, the government, depending upon which state you're in and which country you're in, uh, there could be a variation of at least a point and a half. So you could be looking at a point and a half is significant when you're talking about alcohol content, especially when you're up at 14 and a half percent. So if it's really 16 percent, just saying. So one of the things that uh, we do is when we taste the wine, we evaluate the perception of heat, the perception of alcohol, which is amplified by oak, which is amplified for, uh, with weather, you know, warm year, a very heavy fruit. And all of a sudden, the experience is almost like you're drinking port, for example. Uh, and these are the kinds that make the kind of things that make a really big difference as to whether or not some, somebody likes a wine. So then how do you decide which of the one million wines coming into the country this year are going to be tasted and characterized and logged into the information database of the app. Yeah, so uh, we made the crazy decision to just do all of them. And that's what we've done one by How one. How does that happen? It, 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 uh, it takes years. Um, from the very, very beginning, uh, you, you know, so this isn't my first rodeo, right? So uh, I, I've built a number of businesses over the years, and I've realized, look, look there's two, and, and they're both very fine ways to make a living, to, uh, to do something that expresses what you want to do and build. But one of them is relatively superficial, and the other one is a really deep dive. And what we decided to do was a really deep dive. And the reason that we did was because it was required with respect to preference. It was necessary to taste all of the wines, to evaluate them independently, because a consumer's reaction could vary so very much. The beauty is, is once you do it, uh, you know, once it's done the first time, uh, then you can really ride a wave, especially if you've built a technology infrastructure along the way to make it easy to keep it up to date. It's still hard work, uh, but the database that we have and the database of preference data that we have, uh, that's one of the reasons why it's so valuable is because the characteristics themselves were both determined and then evaluated by these professionals on an impartial basis. So I'm assuming that you have to create a lot of these 
data entries and characteristic points yourself because, and I'm going to look at Allie when I make this next statement and see mm-hmm. if she can answer it. Most wine producers are not capturing this kind of data about their wine. So it's not like a nutritional analysis on the back of a cookie box where the cookie manufacturer is going to be able to just sort of hand this information to you. The wine industry is not currently capturing data and information to plug into these types of social media app databases Mm-mm. no and then and there's so you know there's such a wide range of these apps and social media kind of um solutions to wine that it would be kind of impossible to standardize it so i do like the heavy the the hard work is certainly on um and there's you know there's the, the someone had to do it yeah <laughs> but wine ma- winemakers would be well suited to it though i think because they're so geeky obviously about what they make and what they produce and if anybody has ever sat in the vicinity of winemakers talking about their wine, it's it doesn't even sound like it's something that you can ingest <laughs> when they like talk a about the, language. But the I think details I, of you know the minerals and the percentages mm-hmm. and, and all this. So they they're certainly primed to extract. Sure. Yeah, and a, I think a deep specific and it goes back layer to this of data idea of you know at the core you know winemaking is is it's agriculture and it's science and there's all these components to winemaking that you know the average consumer probably doesn't understand and you know, frankly doesn't really want to, but there are things about the wines that are incredibly valuable that yes the winemakers hold and I think that this is an interesting transition point in how information is delivered as we age you know the millennials are aging into wine and and really beverages in general um, and they want to be communicated to in different ways and they want to learn in different ways um, it, you know same thing with the point system and how wines have been rated in the past and what has been what the value has been placed on in terms of what a good quality wine versus you know not is um, and I think you know you guys are leading the way in providing the resources to have winemakers in regions understand okay what is the dialogue we need to be having with consumers both on our product but then how we talk about it across all of our communication platforms because I, the language is shifting um, and you guys are leading the charge in that and so it's up to us as a region to really pay attention to how these things are shaking out so that our winemakers are starting to be prepared to deliver the information and make it easier going yeah. back to the idea that you know, wine is really a farming agricultural business. We're seeing increasing numbers of farm apps and farm data programs and farm technology where everything from sharing and crowdsourcing weather, weather patterns to growing seasons to, you know, harvesting. Do you, Pam, do you see or do you integrate any kinds of those agricultural touch points? Or could you see yourself merging Wine Ring with one of these farming apps to sort of start to bring in some of, this, some of these data points from another location that's not you entering it? <laughs> so you're bringing up weather, and weather will forever have one of the biggest impacts on how a wine tastes. There are only three things that explain how a wine tastes. It's amazing. There, there are a lot of there are a lot of details in these three things, but there are only three things: the grape, the grape composition, the winemaker, 
were my winemakers who made the wine and the weather in that particular year, in that particular area. And that's what drives what something tastes like. What you're asking me is if one of the three big things um, makes a difference. Uh, oh, yeah. So climate change is... No, not if it makes a difference. If you would partner with or see value of connecting your wine ring database to an agri- agricultural app or ag database that was looking at the farming end of it. Sure. I don't see why not. Uh, we were just doing a wine tasting at the University of California at Davis. Uh, and going through uh, the uh, the nature of we actually did a handful of wines that if you tasted them together they would give you a quick handle on your preferences we call them fast tracks and we had a bunch of guys that you know are winemakers in the room <laughs> trying this out and trying this technology and um, it was just super fun and yeah they have they have so much information that we can use in fact we're on the phone all the time with winemakers to understand what it is they're doing in the um, not only in the winery itself but in the vineyard uh, the nature of you know what's the earth and all the rest but the whole winery platform works in the context of partnerships uh, we are a technology we are a software company we enable other things to happen with other people so absolutely partner with someone who's doing something on the farming side it's a huge part of of what yeah. we do at some point they might all merge together the uh the, the farming different, the different apps mm-hmm. well you know it's funny with wine ring uh I, I i don't know the answer to that the only thing i know is the nature of what we're doing is so very different from what anybody else is doing so i can't discount the uh our, our ability to merge with anybody um, because what we're doing is so very different. And I think that the various data, and I think there's room for a, a lot of different kinds of things. So we were talking about crowd uh, you know, sourcing data. And when it comes to individual wine preference, that may not be the core way that you look for recommendations. But certainly what your friends are drinking is super important to what you're willing to try. And so to kind of come back to one of your uh, earlier questions around the nature, around the nature of discovery, um, if we don't want to get too far away from the fact that, yeah, this technology is really useful and it gets very specific recommendations, but how do we make sure the joy isn't lost, the, the, the journey isn't lost? And I think you've done it, Allie, really nicely um, with your, your website. It's, mm-hmm. it's very travel-oriented. It's experiential. It's let's go here, let's do that. That is one of the main ways that people discover wine. Another way that people discover wine is through their friends, what their friends are drinking. I do that all the time. And... Um, but there's nothing in what we're building that presupposes that. In fact, it encourages it. Um, one of the functionalities, in fact, that we have is we can take your preferences, Ali's preferences and mine, and put them together and get a recommendation based upon the group. And so what ends up happening is it ends up becoming a technology dialogue with respect to what we're all drinking. I think that's really important. Um, but it's a very different kind of crowdsourcing. Mm-hmm. Instead of it being based upon kind of a generalized kind of group of data, it is individual. It's personalized data. crowdsourcing. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so many of the apps and technologies that we talk about on this show ultimately are leading you to a real life experience and even if you go through four patents and a huge database and a ton of tech to get to it theoretically it's connecting you to the end point which is you at the table drinking some long island wine hopefully with people that you like and having a uh, better real life experience with food and drink and they all kind of lead to that it's sort of the the transport to that actual real life experience 
uh, our technology, uh, we're impartial, so uh, we're not allowed to have these kinds of opinions as a corporate matter, but um, you can bet I have them as a personal matter. And uh, <laughs> I tell you what, I love heading out your way. No, uh, it, it, they're, the quality of the wines in Long Island over the last 10 years, the, the change, the shift is just tremendous. And I just wish more of them were more well, well recognized on the world stage. Well, I think that's what, I mean, for me, it's leveraging technology platforms to make that uh, that accessible to more people because you know we are a small agricultural community and so a lot of what we do is retail oriented i mean we sell our wines on site so we are dependent upon people who can help with the discovery process uh, to get you know to intrigue them enough to come out and, and really spend some time and invest and enjoy what we can offer and so um you know for us it's 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 finding that right mix of technology and how and what role they play in our ability to kind of get this generation out and and discovering so and i think it's no coincidence that long island is also known for the potato farms and potato chips because i'm of the belief that Potato chips and sparkling wine are one of the best pairings ever. Good totally. And fr- potato French chips and sparkling wine. Anything with oh, fat yeah. potato and a mm-hmm. glass really of champagne A little bit of salt. <laughs> a little bit of salt. We are completely out of time, which is a surprise. Thank you. Because um, it went by very quickly. The At the end of each show, I always like to ask my guests for a little piece of advice for our listeners, something they can maybe use in their everyday life. Ali, I'll start with you. Really quickly, very simply. How would you do a wine tasting at home? I do wine tasting at home all the time. I uh, I go and I uh, bring as many people as I can, um, and I try to do something very unexpected because I love the sense of discovery. So the other day, um, I served a dessert wine um, before dinner uh, with cheese, and I I think we had the most like mind blowing, head blowing experience in that process. But it's um, for me, wine tasting is all about discovery, and so finding. Anytime I do it is is just try to do something different. And if it doesn't work, it's okay. At least you tried. Okay. That's good advice. And to you, Pam, uh, it sounds like you're a little bit of a serial entrepreneur. What is your best piece of advice to somebody who is starting a business? Don't give up. 3 o'clock in the morning, 3.30, ever <laughs> Download Headspace. Uh, don't give up. Uh, there, especially now, because I think we're moving past the app era. We're moving to an era where the technology is going to have to go deeper in order to deliver meaningful experiences that millennials and agree, people yeah. in general are going to demand. And it's just going to require a heavier lift, a longer road, uh, a harder road. And not giving up is the one thing you control. And that is my best advice. Never give up, never surrender. Especially when it hurts. <laughs> okay, good advice. And after you have not given up, have a wine tasting. <laughs> Should we open a bottle now? <laughs> in the morning. Yes. <laughs> Hashtag daytime drinking. I want to thank Ali Tuthill from Long Island Wine Country. If you want to see what's happening out on the island, you can follow them at LI Wine Country on Instagram or at LI Wines on Twitter. I want to thank Pam Dillon from Wine Ring. You can follow her at, at @pamceo on Twitter and at wine underscore ring. The app is available on iTunes and Android. And Android. Download it. It's fun. It's on my phone. I want to thank Jack and all the rest of the crew from Heritage Radio Network. If you liked this show and you have some crowdsourcing advice for Jack or for us, 
For any of our listeners, get in touch on social media. We're at TechBytesHRN on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.